You're listening. You're listening to a University of Kentucky. University of Kentucky. College of Arts and Sciences podcast. From Short's Goldenrod to Magnolia Trees, Matthew's Garden has been a place of learning and sanctuary for the Lexington community for over a century. It has been a part of the University of Kentucky since 1968. James Krupa has been teaching biology at UK for 25 years. For 14 of those, he has been the caretaker of Matthew's Garden, tending to its flora and planning its future. In this podcast, Dr. Krupa discusses some of his own research and goes in-depth with the history and inner workings of Matthew's Garden. I am Jim Krupa. I'm a professor of biology here at the University of Kentucky. I've been here 25 years. Been taking care of the garden for 14 years. So what's your research focus? Right now it's carnivorous plants. So they're fascinating. Uh, I work with how they do battle with spiders as predators. It's a lot of fun. I've worked with mammals in the past, but right now it's working on carnivorous plants and how they compete with spiders as predators, which just sounds cool. The, the work I've been doing is confirmed that they are both capturing the same kind of prey. So they have reason to compete because they want the same thing. Uh, and it just right now it looks like the, the plant is better at it than the spider. So the spider has to make behavioral adjustments. I have a study site in the panhandle of Florida, west of Tallahassee, where there, my site has about 12 species of carnivorous plants. And then there's a meadow with an endangered um, sundew, a carnivorous plant here in Kentucky. And a lot of the work's there. And part of my mission is to keep this little population of sundews from going extinct. So uh, in addition to the research, it's how do we keep this thing from not disappearing? So they're fascinating, fascinating plants. So tell me about the garden. The garden has been around since about 1900. Um, The house and the garden were built by uh, Dr. Clarence Matthews, and he was a professor here for 50 years. I think he passed away sometime in the 1920s, but he was a a dean of agriculture or chair. He he was an administrator here. Uh, He built the house, which at the time was on the edge of the campus. He built the garden. Then his daughter, Ruth, lived in it her whole life, and I think she died around 1985. She sold the property to the university and then uh, she she passed away and it was pretty much left to one old professor that uh, took care of as best he could and then I took it over from him because it was getting overgrown so it is it is 110 years of existence which means the soil which is so much of the ecosystem has a long history and that's pretty critical and some of the trees in the garden were planted by Dr. Matthews there are I think five of them still so it's a long long history not just in dedication to the university but as a botanical facility but the house is a beautiful thing it's just not seen by others that way so I took over in 2000 and it is intended to be enjoyed as an oasis it's intended to be educational it's intended to be a celebration of biodiversity and there are migratory birds that stop in Matthew's Garden. There's a tremendous population of native pollinating bees that are in serious trouble nationwide. It is an oasis for wildlife. To me, there are three things, educational, historical, and biodiversity that this thing represents. Also, it shows that there are those who care about maintaining biodiversity. But I think it has to be presented as an educational facility. So um, what do you think 
the future of the garden like ideally mm. would be? Oh, I have a clear idea. So I've been putting so much time into it and before all this threat of elimination came up, I, I would be up at night wondering what's going to happen when I die or retire because it needs to be maintained. The invasive exotic plants will get in there. So what I would like is for the house and the garden to be protected in perpetuity. I would like that there are funds enough to maintain the house either to have offices or even rent it out to university families as one of the issues. And then when I'm done, to have the Arboretum maintain it, which means money for them to do that. So what would you say is the biggest challenge for you maintaining mm -hmm. the garden? The physical effort. I've thrown out my back in that place many, many times. So it's, it's maintaining a canopy and then maintaining the understory plants and having it so it's always accessible for people. So um, it, takes, it takes a fair amount of planning. And I, I think I know every sapling and every tree in that place and I know what it should be doing in the future. And so you said that there are a lot of, there are more than 300 species of, of plants in this And we don't even know, we need to, there are so many of the species that are uh, the perennials that have been there before I took over and I don't know them well enough. So we have, I think, a list of 170 woody plants. And we have my list of what I planted in there. There were some that survived and some didn't. But one of the things that we need to do is go through and, and do all the perennials because once upon a time, I have the old list that was close to 400 species in there. So we could be at that. But it's going to take a number of people that know plants better than I do to do, do the list. So it's, it's a lot of diversity in there. Are there any rare or like endangered plants in there? Yeah. I almost hate to say what they are. But yeah, there are a couple trees in there that are threatened. There is something that's very common there called Short's Goldenrod. It's a, it's an endangered species, and it, it thrives in there. Um, there are a number of rare species. There are a number of spring flowers that are unusual. So it's it does have some rare stuff in it. I guess maybe to bring it back to the beginning of our conversation, are there any carnivorous plants in Matthew's yeah. garden? No, I, I tried to get ginseng in there. People stole it. <laughs> Uh, carnivorous plants need such special conditions. Absolutely, they need to have full sun. And that garden is not full sun. They need to have acidic soil. They need to have wet soil. They are. That's one of the reasons they're one of the most endangered plant groups in the country because they need very specific conditions. So uh, not a place for carnivores. Too bad. That would be fun. Well, the problem is if they work there, they're probably poached as fast as they could grow, which is the problem with carnivorous plants. Thank you for listening. And thanks to the College of Arts and Sciences and the Department of Biology for making this podcast possible.